0: All right, well, let's go ahead and get started. We had good news from Claire yesterday, and she was feeling better than the doctor said she should. And she was ready to leave the ICU, and the doctor said, hold your horses. And So we're going to pray for Claire, and give thanks, and uh, also pray for uh, Ting, and I'll mention them also in, our, in the pastoral prayer today, in the congregational prayer. So let's pray. Well, Lord God, in heaven, you calmed the stormy sea with just the words, peace be still, we come to you. You're the God who holds us, you're the one who sustains us, and for that we're grateful. We thank you for hearing, because we have prayed for Clara, and that uh, she is doing so much better. We ask that uh, her recovery would continue, and continue speedily, and that she would be home soon, and then be able to be back up and about again. We pray for our sweet sister team, Lord, we ask you to continue to hold her, and Walk with her as she walks through the valley of the shadow of death. For you are with her and you're riding your staff. Comfort her, Lord. We thank you for the memories that she she left behind with us. And uh, we ask you to keep her. We pray, Lord, for us as we move into this class. As we look at Psalm 27, we ask, Lord, for your guidance and your help. And in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are at Psalm 27. And there's a printed copy for you that's been floating around out there somewhere. And if you don't have one, you need one. Fred's hogging them all right here. So, oh yeah, yeah. no, I was looking. That's okay. I'm just joking. All right, so let me let me read Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation; whom shall I fear? Yahweh is a stronghold of my life; of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of Yahweh that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh, Yahweh all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of Yahweh and to inquire in His temple. For He will, be, he, for he will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high up on a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to Yahweh. Hear, O Yahweh, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face, my heart says to you. Your face, Yahweh, do I seek. Hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but Yahweh will take me in. Teach me your way, O Yahweh, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I will look upon the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the, li- land of the living. Wait for Yahweh. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for Yahweh. So as you heard Psalm 27 being read, was there anything that stuck out? Maybe something that tied it in your head to the previous psalm? Anything that you saw maybe inside of it that was uh, worth calling attention to? Yes, Fred. Yeah. 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 Amen. Yeah, but you heard Psalm 23? Okay. In what way? Yeah, I'll put you on the spot. Well, that's good. Yeah, good. Okay, Steve heard them. Okay, everybody agree? Steve heard them. (laughs) I'm in there with you, brother. I heard a lot of... yeah. Yeah, it's a great psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. Anybody else? Anything else you notice? One of the things you should notice is that the first. Sorry about that. One of the things you should notice is that the first, um, the first six verses are talking about the Lord, so it's third person singular, he, 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 he. And starting at verse seven, it's very personal in that you, you, you. He's praying to the Lord. So the first part, he's talking about the Lord. The second part, he's talking to the Lord. And so that's uh, one of those that you should see in there as well. All right, well, let's get moving then. So this is, uh, again, House of the Lord or House of God, but this is part two, and I won't read all this, but as I read last week from Derek Kidner in his commentary, he pulls together these three Psalms, Psalm 26, 27, and 28, are all about the house of God, going to the house of God, and so forth. And Fred had mentioned that just a minute ago. And so Psalm 26, 27, and 28 are uh, together around that that subject. So that was Derek Kidner's little commentary on the Psalms. So House of God, part two. So here's how I'm going to break it down, because this is the way it looks looks like it breaks down. Abiding faith, verses one through six. Anxious faith, verses seven through 12. And then adamant faith, verses 13 through 14. So there's my three points. Abiding faith, anxious faith, adamant faith. So abiding faith. As you start out, notice in verse 1, there's just a, a little play on words. You don't see it in the English, um, but it is in the Hebrew. And it's uh, it's a play on the words light and fear. So it's uh, uh, Uri, Uri is light, and Ira is uh, fear. It's just, it's just as you're reading it in Hebrew, there's a play there. So the Lord is my light, Uri, and Uh, whom shall I ire, or ira okay just a funny play but it's it's interesting that it's okay to play with words a little bit not to twist them but to play with them as you're praying even just some thought in there and uh it's really really helpful okay they have a similar sounds yeah and there's the same letters so the aleph is always silent and so there's the vowel same here the olive is silent and there's the vowel it's the e sound that's the o sound so it's ire. okay but it's just they're the same letters but it has this different sound to it all right so uh, verses one to three are confident assertions piling one aspect on top of another and so how does look at the look at verses one through three and what are the what are the different aspects that that uh, David is piling on one on top of the other. In Psalm twenty seven. Yeah, okay, so there's the result. Whom shall I fear? But it's based upon what? Yeah, God is the Lord is the light my light and my salvation. What else does he pile on? Stronghold? where there are evildoers, but Lo and behold, because of verse 1 and 2, what happens to the evildoers and adversaries? They stumble and fall, okay? And then what else? Yeah, right. So even though an army encamps around us, not fear, adversaries and uh, foes, they'll be the ones that stumble and fall. He's just piling on different aspects of the Lord, but also the results of those aspects of the Lord um, they're the ones that stumble and fall and so forth. And you're just piling them on. And that's a good thing to do. There's times in prayer that that's a really good thing to do, just to start piling things on. Here's who you are. I really believe this. And because of that, I really don't have any need to fear and, and so forth. It's really very very beneficial. So David had some previous experiences with evildoers assailing him, armies encamping about him, and um, how they had stumbled and fell, Okay. And so actually in the Hebrew, this is all in the perfect tense, which can often be translated past tense. So verses, much of verses 1 through 6 are, uh, have that past tense edge. So he's writing out of his experience, I know what it's like to be encompassed by enemies, and, but I've also watched you rise up against them, and they're the ones who stumble and fell. Therefore, I have no reason to fear. So it's really important. He's drawing from his past experience with the Lord. Okay, Have you ever had experiences with the Lord in the past that when you were going through something in the present that was troublesome, that when you recalled that it gave you some strength or it maybe gave you some, some buoyancy in the stormy waters? Good answer. Yes. No, I'm glad. That's good. And that's exactly what David is doing there, okay? So that's why he says, I will be confident. He's basing his confidence on what the Lord has done in the past. Uh, notice also, you don't see it quite in the English, but it is in the Hebrew um, verse, uh, verse 2 and then verse 3, the Hebrew word is actually against. So when it says, when evildoers, it actually says in the Hebrew, when evildoers assail against me, and then again in verse 3, twice it says, when they encamp against me, when war, uh, war rises against me. It's really interesting, just the emphasis, feeling like I'm on the receiving end of a spear thrust. They're against me, against me, against me, okay? just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're out not out to get you, okay? I'm just telling you. So, all right. So what else anybody else, what else do you see in verses 1 through 3? Do you think about it? Yeah, all right. That's a good point. Yeah, first first verse you know, this is who God is for sure. Here's my question, whom shall I fear? What a great statement. What a great question. And then here, then he gives himself his own answer, right? And it's because of the Lord, I really don't have to fear, okay? Very good. Well, let me take a, a little side, short excursus for just a minute as we get ready to move on with verses four through six. Um, so notice in verse four, one thing I've, I have asked of Yahweh, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life to gaze upon what? The beauty of Yahweh and to inquire in his temple. I mean, you do, some, some phrases, some statements just catch your attention. Gazing on the beauty of Yahweh. You can't see him. How can you gaze on the beauty of Yahweh? And so Ralph Davis had a, a very interesting little side note that I thought I would put in here. Quote, the very existence of the tabernacle should have always been suggestive to an Israelite. One can trace it all, uh, trace it all in the book of Exodus where it is clear that the God of, chap- of Exodus 3.4 and 19.21 is also the God of 25.8. That is, the God of the bush, chapter 3.5, the God of the bush who will rescue His people from slavery and the God of the hill, or the mountain, that's 19.21, declares to his people his law, is also the God of the tent. Remember the tabernacle. Why is the tabernacle in the midst of Israel? God's presence. So the God of the bush, the God of the hill, uh, is also the God of the tent who dwells in the midst of his people with his tent among their tents. Does that sound familiar by any way? Setting up his tent in their, in their midst? Anybody? John 1, right? The, uh, G- uh, the word, the word was, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with flesh, uh, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. You hear this almost every Christmas probably, you know, that um, the Word set up His tent in our midst. And so God, the God of the tent who dwells in the midst of His people with His tent among their tents, indeed the climax of the book of Exodus, is not at the sea, nor on the mountain, But in the tent, the pinnacle of Exodus is 25, verse 8. And they shall make for me a sanctuary, and I shall dwell in their midst. And you know he's right, because how much of Exodus is actually spent on the the building of the tabernacle? Almost, I mean, uh, 50% of it or more. One thing, the making of the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. It is the high point of the book of Exodus. The God who wants to be near his people. Right? Right? And so this is why David runs to the house of God to the tent. Yes? Oh, the lampstand. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, in the midst of them. Yes? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Yes, very physical, very close by, yes. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yes. Yes. Yeah, preach it. I just thought that was really helpful because then you understand verse 4, why he would run to the tent. And you just think about it. And to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. But he's not going to see the Lord because, remember, remember, God is not seeable to the human eye unless he, become, unless he condescends and becomes fully human. So when he's talking about gazing on the beauty of the Lord, he's talking about being in his presence. So it's, a met, it's partly metaphorical, partly also he's in the tabernacle. And if you remember the furnishings of the tabernacle, what were all the inside furniture pieces made of? Anybody remember? Gold. They were all covered with gold. And the outside pieces of the tabernacle in the courtyard were made out of what? Yeah, they're all covered with bronze, which as long as it's, you know, not tarnished, it's also got that kind of glint to it. And so you walk in and here's this glory, right? So there's all of this aspect. And then every piece of furniture says something about the Lord. So there's the, there's the, there's the altar of sacrifice so that our sins can be forgiven, that we can draw near. There's uh, the basin for the priest to wash in. So he makes a way for his people to come in clean. Then inside, there's also uh, the lights. Talk about Jesus walking in the midst of the lampstand. There's the, there's the lampstand in there. You know, the light and, and, and reminds you, of course, of God walk, being with his people in the cloud of, in the fiery pillar and the cloud and all that. Just all this stuff keeps saying, the Lord is here. The Lord is here. So when he says, I go, I want to go into your tabernacle to gaze on, your, on the beauty of the Lord. I mean, it means a lot. It's more than just metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Especially in the winter. Huge, portion. yeah. I think about that. I was reading uh, early uh, uh, biographies of folks on the frontier and you find that the only light they had to read by at night was the fireplace was lit, you know, or they might have a kerosene lantern. If you've ever been in a small, tight place with a kerosene lantern, you're not reading very well very long because you start getting real sleepy real quick, right? It's, it's just amazing. All right, so verses 4 through 6 then, swirl around God's house, swirl around His temple or in His tent. And I want you to notice the fluidity of the words. And so uh, chapter 27, um, so verse 4, uh, the house of the Lord, uh, His temple, then verse 5, verse um, 5, Conceal me in, under the cover of his tent, and uh, verse six, and I will offer in his tent the sacrifices of joy. The reason why I'm going to bring this up, he's talking about the same structure, but it's already being called the tent is already being called is being called the house. Now, if you were a nomadic people, the tent was a mobile home, so that's very fitting. Okay, but then to call it the temple. So already he's calling the tabernacle the temple, and the reason why I bring that up because as you go through, this was one of the reasons why the liberals didn't think some of the psalms were written by David, even though it says it's written by David, because they'll talk about the temple. Oh, David didn't have a temple; he had a tabernacle. Well, no, right here you have a. Here's all three words for the same structure. So that's not uh, uh, evidence that the the, whenever the temple is the word temple is used in the psalms. That's not any evidence that that uh, that can't be David writing that. Because he's already doing it right here where he's putting all three of those together. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. So what does David anticipate in God's house? As you look at verses 4 through 6, what does he anticipate in reference to God's house? I'm sorry? God's beauty in it? Safety. Yep. So there's so the sense of communion, actually dwelling in there in communion. Yeah, being close enough to talk to God, right? In in that sense. Does anybody know anybody who dwelt, actually lived in the tabernacle? I mean, you don't know him personally, I know, because none of us are that old, okay? Yes, Eli and Samuel. Remember, they're actually sleeping in the tabernacle. And so in the middle of the night, Samuel hears the voice and he runs to Eli. He says, did you call me? No, no, I didn't call you. It happens like three times and finally he's told, next time, say, uh, speak, Lord, your servant, listens.'" They're sleeping in the tabernacle, Okay? And so, how interesting that David, who's right after Samuel, is talking about drawing, you dwelling in the tabernacle in the temple, that closeness. Okay. So, also notice uh, the language with uh, in verse five: shelter, tent, rock. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay. There's the connection. Got it. All right. Steve is finally vindicated and validated. So, for he will hide me in his shelter. Anybody know anything about shelters here in Oklahoma? Yeah, right? So your storm shelter, right? He will hide me in a shelter. This is what he's calling the tabernacle. He will hide me in a shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. Now why would that be? Maybe he would say something to someone who's dwelling in nomadic regions. Hides me under the cover of his tent. Yeah,' it's a sense of protection. I'm out of their way, right? I mean, I think of this is a, the wrong kind of example, but it's actually a great example. Sisera goes running away from God's judge and the, and the Israelite army, and he runs up to uh, the tent of J.L. And where does he go to get away from trouble in the tent? Unfortunately, J.L.'s other name was Peggy, and she used it and gave him a beep. Sorry. preacher joke. But that's why he went to the tent, hiding under the cover of our tent, right? And so here he's talking about the same thing, the shelter, hiding under the cover of his tent. And then, what's the next one? Yeah, lift me high up on a rock, okay? And if you're in a, uh, and there's all kinds of different aspects of being high on a rock, okay? Like Wichita Wildlife Refuge, Kyle Kiowas and Apaches loved going up there. You can get up there and you can see any of, the, any of the Union Army or the cavalry coming, right? You can see them for miles. So there's a sense of being on a rock so that you can see so you're still safe. But there's also, if you live in a region where it has wadis or uh, arroyas, when it rains way over there at Hal's house, it comes flooding over at my house within about 30 minutes. And if I hear the rumble, Sometimes you, you know, the safest place to be is up on the highest rock possible as the water, a wall of water comes rushing down. So there's all those images in David's words as he's talking about running to the house of the Lord as a place of safety, shelter, and so forth. I thought it was interesting how he just keeps piling on these different aspects, you know, as he was thinking about be dwelling with the Lord and being close to him. So um then notice the connection at the end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6. So verse 5, you end with, he will lift me high up on a rock. And then how does he begin verse 6? My head shall be lifted up. So he's sticking to the lifted up part, right? Not in the sense of arrogance, but the sense of, my head's above water. Anybody need somebody to pray for them that their head would get above water? You know, my head is lifted up. I'm above water, right? Same kind of thing. And what, a, what an interesting connection. Okay. So that was um, abiding faith. And now we get ready to move on to anxious faith before we move on. Anybody have any last questions or thoughts? Or Yes. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You run across that if you ever get into church history. And when the the Visigoths finally sacked Rome, many people ran to the churches because the Visigoths were uh, they were a Christian. They were uh, their faith was a Christian heresy. They were Arians, and they normally honored the fact that people were in the churches as a sanctuary. So that's a great image. Yeah, very much so. Good. All right. So, yes. I nailed it. Yes. Yes. We sit around all week long and make up these things. Yes, got that one on the head. That's right. Very good. Okay. Moving right along. Let's talk about anxious faith, which some of you may have after all those bad jokes. Okay. Verses 7 through 12. um, So try to summarize verses 7 through 12. Just in a nutshell, what would you summarize verses 7 through 12? How would you summarize it? Yeah, confidence in prayer. Based on verses 1 through 6, my past experience and having all of this, then this confidence in prayer. He knows he can come to the Lord. Okay, what else? How else would you might summarize? Seek my face. Yeah, what a very touching request and statement by the Lord. Yes. Yes. Yes, 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 yeah, absolutely, and that's a good point, and we'll come back to it at the end, but that's a good point to remember, you have this high aspect of verses 1 through 6, and the very person who wrote verses 1 through 6 is now writing verses 7 through 12, and it's it's down deep in the dark valley, right, in the same psalm, and that's important to know, by the way, if you ever read, if you ever get into commentaries because you've got nothing better to do, uh, every so often you'll run across one that will say, well, clearly verses 1 through 6 was written one time, and then verses 7 through 12 were actually another psalm, and somewhere the editors put them together, because how can the person who said verses 1 through 6 turn right around and immediately say verses 7 through 12? But I think it's far more uh, closer to reality, as Pamela was talking about there, that, the two, that this is all one psalm. You have the high and the low. Okay? Good, 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 good. So verse 7 and 11 seem to be connected back to chapter 26, verse uh, 11 and 12. So here's what I'm referring to in verse 7. Um, he, oh, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Back in chapter 26... Uh, But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity, redeem me, and be gracious to me. So the be gracious aspect is there. And then you get down to verse 11 here of Psalm 27. Teach me your way, O Yahweh, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. 26.12, my foot stands on level ground. Right? And so there's all kinds of little connections that tie this forward and backward. I just wanted to point those out so, uh, Tina brought up seek, and that's a really valuable set of verses. To look at verse 8 and 9. You have said, seek my face. Okay, and you can go through the Old Testament, and you can find that several times, okay? And David is taking what God has said in the past to others, and he's making it personal. You have said, seek my face. I, I am assuming that that means me, is what he's saying. And so, therefore, I have said, my heart says to you, your face, Yahweh, do I seek. And what a great statement. The Lord says, seek my face. It's right for us to say, you know, sometimes you you used to hear people say it all the time. You just need to go seek seek the face of God. That's a biblical concept, right? And it's a draw. What does that mean to seek the face of someone? Yeah, how much more valuable is that verse now these days? Right, seek the face of the Lord. Draw, and so it's just that idea of drawing near, right, and actually paying attention and focusing and and uh, um, and those things. And so it's really very, very, uh, very meaningful statement. So see my, see my face. Your face, uh, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. But then right after that what comes up, the rest of verse 8, and then you move into verse 9. Yeah, don't hide your face. Right? And does God ever hide His face? Yeah, there are times. Right? So there's times because of sin. Isaiah 59, verse 2, talks about the reason why the Lord has hidden His face is because of our sin. That happens. But what about maybe a person who never, ever, 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 ever sinned? Did the Father ever hide his face from him? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? That doesn't mean necessarily just because you sense and you feel like God maybe has turned his face away momentarily that he's that He's actually damning you or condemning you. I think about Job. I can only imagine, even though he doesn't tell us per se, but he must have felt like God had just utterly turned his face from him. And now his friends ran around saying to him, well, great suffering means great sinners, so you need to repent. But God says over and over again, no, this is my servant who's upright and blameless, etc., who's shoes evil. Isn't that interesting? And so here's David saying, seek, uh, my, heart says seek, seek your, uh, my heart says I will seek your face, don't turn your face Yeah, right, right, right. So that was his friends thinking great suffering means great sinner. And they were utterly wrong, as God says in the end. But you're right. That's Yeah, very good. So, um, yeah, so the rest of the prayer in verse 9 is just that. Don't cast me off. In fact, he says that when he gets to Psalm 51, but you understand when you get to Psalm 51 why he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Right? Because there, there's actual sin involved that, uh, he recognizes he's done wrong and that, that he deserves to actually be cast off. Okay? But here, there's no specific sin mentioned, um, and so his yearning is to draw near to God and to, to be closer to him, and so he's beseeching, don't cast me off. Okay? Um, and so Patrick Henry Reardon, who was an Episcopal priest, he's now an Eastern Orthodox uh, priest, but this is a great little book, Christ and the Psalms. I don't always agree with everything he writes, but some of them are just priceless, and there's one. Because he's talking about that whole prayer, verse 8 and 9. This is the final grace of prayer. Of course, the gaze on the face of God. On the mountain, Moses asked to see the face of God, Exodus 33. But it was more than a thousand years later when on yet another mountain, his petition was finally granted at the Mount of Transfiguration. For our Lord Jesus Christ is the face of God, the brightness of His glory, and the express image of His person. To seek the face of God, then it, it is imperative to seek it where it is definitively and forever revealed. Seek the face of the Lord is seeking Christ. Okay, but I thought it was very, very potent. He prayed to seek the face of God. I would say 1,400 years later, he sees the face of God. Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. Because there he is talking to Jesus face to face. Okay. Uh, still talking about anxious faith. Uh, describe why verse 10 is so painful and so poignant. Yeah, utter aloneness. Utter my mom and my dad have forsaken me. Mother and father have forsaken me. Now, it doesn't say how they forsook him. It could be they're dead. So it's just their absence feels like forsakenness. Could be that moment when, uh, one of those moments when he's running for his life from Saul and he has to leave his parents behind and he can't depend on them. And maybe they've, maybe they've even, who knows, right? There's just aspects of that. But it's a very touching, it's a very painful statement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it feels, yeah, absolutely. And I think about, I think about Christians who are Muslims. Who they become, Muslims who become Christians and then their family turns from them. Psalm 27, verse 10. But notice the, the part that's beautiful here, the part that's poignant. Even though my mom and my dad have forsaken me, yet you don't, right? But Yahweh will take me in. What language will take me in? What language does that remind you of? If I don't have a mom and dad, what am I? An orphan. What does take me in sound like? Adoption. Yeah. Even if my mom and dad turn on me, you will bring me in in that close home, in the fellowship of home. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. If you ever get a chance to go to Presbytery, you'll hear us say thing at the beginning of every one of our statements, something really weird. Fathers and brothers. That's how we end, begin every statement we say. But the idea, we don't always act it out perfectly, but the idea is we are family, right? And there's different layers of that, right? So you have those who are fathers in the faith and brothers in the faith. And then when we have, and then sometimes we have, like we had here back in October when many of you came for the worship service and stuff, sometimes. Uh, some of the women will be there. And so sometimes you'll hear the, the, the fellows get up and say, fathers, mothers, brothers, right? I mean, just all, it's just emphatically reminding us we are family, okay? But here's, what a, what a powerful statement, verse 10. Even my father, my mother forsake me, yet you take me in, okay? And so then, verse 11 and 12, uh, two different but deeply related requests in verse 11 and 12. Um, teach me your way, O Yahweh, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies, give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence, okay? And so, um, well, it's, it's uh, not necessarily a request. The request is actually back up in verse 11, but it's all wrapped around two uh, deeply related incidences. Okay, notice that um, the request is teach me your way, lead me on a level path. And the incidences are of my enemies, my enemies. Uh, So it is a request. Don't give me up to the will of my adversaries. It's the same thing as lead me on a level path or yeah, lead me on a level path and teach me because of the same thing, the enemies, the false witnesses. The enemies here um, are speakers. Notice how in verse 11, we're back to speech again. This is huge for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out. So there's a vocal violence here. We've talked about this before earlier in the psalm. So the teach me your way is not necessarily, notice the context, it's not necessarily teach me your 10 commandments so I'll know how to live life normally. It's help me out of this mess. Show me the way out. Right, teach me your way. Show me the way out. What a great prayer. All right, any, anything else in verses 7 through 12? Anything stick out to you? Just can't wait to tell somebody? Right, yeah. Moose? Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, Cindy. Yes, right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, David wouldn't have gone to see God's face if he didn't know him, right? If he wasn't already in in fellowship with him in some way. And then going back to what Reardon said, just reminding—and that's the thing—reminding people: here's how, here's the face of God, Jesus. Seek the face of God. Come to Jesus. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, right. All right, so moving then to adamant faith, verses 13 through 14. So David's adamant faith catches us by surprise in verse 13. Um, Anybody have the King James? Or the New King James? No, okay. So, huh? No, it's okay, no, it's okay, it's okay. I, I got it all up here. I just wanted to see. So, so... David's adamant faith catches us by surprise in verse 13. From the Hebrew, it's actually an open-ended verse. This is literally what it is in the Hebrew. Unless I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, exclamation point. I mean, think about that open-ended statement. Unless, I mean, this this is a concluding statement, and yet it's an incomplete thought, yes. It's intentionally that way. Unless I believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, after you get to the end of verse 11 or 12, and you move to the first part of verse 13, it's you. You get the feeling of, yeah. Unless I believe I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, and you're you're like, yeah, right. And so what happens is that um, translators can't handle the incomplete thought. <laughs> so. Some translations try to resolve it by making it an assertion, like you have in the English Standard Version, the NIV, the New American Standard, which makes it, turns it to a statement. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. What's true? Okay, that's his faith, but that's not how it is in the Hebrew. It's actually, if I didn't, then, and you're left that that's the open end. And so then the old King James Version and the new King James Version kind of leave some of that there, but they add, if you, uh, you can tell because they italicize this statement, okay, which tells you this is not in the Hebrew, um, so they're supplying it, but they add this, I would have fainted unless, or the New King James says, I would have lost heart unless, or the Amplified Version says, I would have despaired had I not, right, and I think that the, they're trying to make that a more complete thought gets closer to why that Hebrew sentence is an incomplete sentence. It's left. It's there to bring you into that. Yeah, I would have lost heart. Look at verse 7 through 12. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But in the Hebrew, it's really interesting. It just strikes you, catches you. Unless i believe, I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Boom! Wow, it makes you stop and you go, yeah, what would happen if I didn't believe I'd see the goodness of, oh my God, oh, oh no!" right? Okay, I just wanted to bring that up a little bit there. And so uh, the Hebrew of verse 13 stops you dead in your tracks, uh, as I said, unless I believe. And this surprise then leads you to land in the, on the next verse. And so the next verse, wait for Yahweh. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for Yahweh, okay? So that Hebrew word, uh, kaveh, carries for weight. That's what's, uh, wait used twice there. Carries faith in its arms. It carries trust on his wings. When we hear "wait," we often think, and some people did do this, literally. Oh, that means we need to just sit back and twiddle our thumbs and wait until God does something. But that's not what that word is saying. It's, it's a sense of trust. It's a sense of uh, waiting on the Lord, trusting that He's going to do His part and I'm going to, you know, but it's a, it's a trust word. Okay, I don't know how else to put it. I, I do have another way to put it. It's what you hear in Isaiah 40 in verse 30 and 31. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted, but those who wait for Yahweh shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's the exact same Hebrew word. Those who wait for Yahweh, those who have their confidence in Him, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Those are the ones He's talking about. Right? A wonderful verse. Any question on those two verses? Yes? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, not obsessing on the problems, yes, but on the resolver of the problems.. Whew. Yes. The slew to spawn, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's a great picture. Yeah, Pilgrim's Progress, I'm going to go back and read that again. It's been a long time. I heard a friend of mine down at uh, Mark 2, who told me they went down, was Scott, yeah, down at Redeemer, down in, uh, in McKinney, a friend of mine who used to be in the Church of Christ, used to be a Church of Christ minister also, doo, 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 doo. came into the PCA, and he's teaching a class on Pilgrim's Progress, that would be fun to do. All right, so there's my little origami there. Um, Ralph Davis goes like this, and this is what I want to pick back up on something Pamela said earlier because it takes the whole psalm together, okay? Here is a psalm that recognizes the yo-yo pattern of believing experience. Everybody remember yo-yos? I saw some kids run around with yo-yos at Classic Conversations this last week. I was so pleased. Finally, yes, all right, yes. Anyways, so here's a psalm that recognizes the yo-yo pattern of believing experience. Don't gobs of the Lord's saints know what it is to move all too quickly from faith, verse one through six, to fear, verse seven through twelve, from trust to trouble, from resting in Yahweh to pleading for rescue? Oh, it's still a matter of faith, but the abiding faith of verses one through six has given given way to the agitated faith of verses seven through twelve. But doesn't it help you when you run into a text that makes you say, yes, that's the way things are. Living for Christ sometimes goes exactly like that. And that's often the nature of believing experience. There is is this and yet that. There's enjoying the beauty of the Lord, and then there's facing an unnerving emergency. The calm of faith can become the crisis of faith, and they often occur in that sequence. I think that helps to show how Psalm 27 really fits together. And if you believe that God actually inspired this, it should warm your heart towards Him. He cares that much to say, I want you to know that this is fairly normal and I'm giving you the words to cry out and pray when you go through the midst of it. Now what kind of a good God is that? Right? I mean, that's gorgeous. Can you say that about Scripture? It's gorgeous? It's gorgeous. Not dead, gorgeous, whatever. Anyway, but it's just beautiful. And I love the way he puts that, so. I hope you enjoy Psalm 27 and find yourself in it more often. And so, describe one way this psalm might be useful in your family Saturday night or early Sunday morning. Same question I asked last week with Psalm 26. Fred's already given us an example. Fred and CJ talking about, you know, not feeling so good, and yet going through Psalm 27, I want to go back to the household. How how could you use Psalm 27, for example, with your family on Saturday night or early Sunday morning? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah, right, right. I about the 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 And Good, yeah, good. Anybody else? Anything you want to add? Anything else to that? How would you use? How can you use Psalm twenty-seven Saturday night or early Sunday morning with your family? All right, we'll be thinking about that because I'm going to ask the same question. When we get to Psalm twenty-eight next week. So, why would this psalm be valuable to you during dark times? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. He doesn't deny that he has problems, but going with what is saying, he doesn't deny them. He brings them out, but he doesn't just obsess on them, right? He actually obs- kind of obs- really obsesses on the Lord. You said, "See my face, my heart says your face, Lord, I will seek," and this whole psalm seems to be re- re- revolving around that. Fred. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm yeah sure yeah 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 and just like communion is kind of like the hors d'oeuvres to the marriage supper of the, of the of the lamb and the bride so even sorry i like hors d'oeuvres no cj was looking at me i like hors d'oeuvres so it's kind of the the pre it's kind of the, the the appetizer for the full meal so same thing here right It's an appetizer, if you will, or it's a beginning of that big tent. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Very good. And so that kind of goes along with something that Alan said earlier, also answering this question, goes along with this question. How does Psalm 27 put you on a level path? Yeah, as Alan said earlier, it reorients you. Yeah, back into focus. Uh, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Randy and I are the only ones in this whole room that we recycle these things. And I just go over them and over them and over them and over them. So how that would be a, a, actually pulling in Psalm 27 maybe to put a break in there so you're not obsessed maybe. right yeah 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 yep yeah 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 absolutely I think that's good yeah so that's what you have going on John Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, expectation is a good word. That is a great word. Yes, absolutely. CJ? even one of our hymns. Yeah. Very good. So here's the last question. No answers, just not, at least not to me. Do you wait for the Lord? Do you wait for the Lord? So we're going to get ready to enter into the great assembly and worship the Lord draw near to seek the face of the one who said seek my face. Let's pray. Lord God, you have said to us seek my face. Your face, Lord, do we seek. We come running, Lord, into your tent, to your tabernacle. Because here, here, we get to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that you would lift our heads, that you would set us up on a rock. That, Lord, we would draw near, we would wait for you. Unless I believed, I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so, Lord, we draw near. We thank you that we can see your face in your Son, Jesus Christ. Show us Jesus clearly. It's in his name we pray. Amen.